You're not all powerful. Well, I should be. Someday I will be. I will be the most powerful Jedi ever. I promise you. I will even learn to stop people from dying. Anakin. It's all Obi-Wan's fault. He's jealous. He's holding me back. What's wrong, Annie? I killed them. I killed them all. They're dead. Every single one of them. And not just the men, but the women and the children, too. They're like animals, and I slaughtered them like animals. I hate them. I can't take Dooku alone. I need you. If we catch him, we can end this war right now. We have a job to do. I don't care. Put the ship down. You will be expelled from the Jedi Order. I can't leave her. Come to your senses. What do you think Padme would do with she in your position? She would do her duty. Welcome, everyone, from across the universe to the Wampa's Lair podcast. Star Wars is for everyone, so pull up a chair, get comfortable, and join the conversation with your hosts, Carl LeClaire and Jason Hunt, here in the Wampa's Lair. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another exciting episode of the Wampa's Lair podcast. This is episode number 468, Attack of the Clones, Act 3. I'm, as always, one of your hosts, Jason Hunt, and with me, the Obi-Wan Kenobi to my Count Dooku, we have Carl LeClaire. I thought you were in control here, Dooku. Well, this has nothing to do with me, I can assure you. I will petition immediately for your release. Well, I hope it doesn't take too long. I've got work to do. May I ask why a Jedi Knight is all the way out here in the Wampus Lair? (laughs) (laughs) It was quite hot here on Geonosis, so I needed to cool down. Ah, yes, fair enough. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Bringing it home this week, Jason. We are obviously just a couple of days out from the actual 20th anniversary of Attack of the Clones. Um, and uh, hopefully we've had so, so, so many of you with us for the past few weeks as we've dived into all things Attack of the Clones. Excited to finish our, our last look at the, the final act of this movie with our kind of deep dive discussion. Um, Jason, this has been a great, great five weeks of just nothing but Attack of the Clones love, I gotta say. I'm so excited. Uh, it just, I was thinking about it earlier. It's like I've, I've had so much fun with this that in three years we need to do it again with the Revenge of the Sith. I, so. I was thinking the exact same thing. <laughs> uh, you know, it's crazy to think, though, like and this this will obviously showcase what era of Star Wars you and I grew up with, because I mean, literally at the end of this or at this on, on the 25th of this month will be the 45th anniversary of A New Hope, which is a huge deal. 
Um, but we didn't do a whole month long celebration of a new hope. We did attack of the clones, <laughs> you know, right. and again, it's no shade on a new hope at all. I know, you know, we both thoroughly enjoy that movie, but man, we are prequel guys at our core. Yeah. Yeah. But give it five years and we hit 50 for a oh, new hope. We then have- we'll do it. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Oh my goodness. Um, and well, and actually, that said, next week to kind of we are obviously also on the cusp of celebration. Uh, I, Jason, you and I obviously can't be there this year, which we're both super bummed about, especially getting closer. Um, but that's right around the corner with, I'm sure, all sorts of exciting announcements. We've got Kenobi's premiere a week from Friday, like so much big stuff coming around the pipe. So that's why next week, though. In light of all this Attack of the Clones love we've been doing, in light of all the love that's been being shared with Hayden being back and Ewan and him being together again, we're going to do a whole episode next week just talking about why we love the prequels. Because, by golly, we sure do. Um, we really do. <laughs> and uh, and we want you to be part of the conversation if you feel so inclined. We would love for you to send us an email with some thoughts of yours or even just like a quick voice message. We we would love to play some of those on the episode next week. Um, so more details on that uh, at the end of the episode about how you can do that. Um, but we would love to hear some of uh, some of your reasons for why you love the prequels. Because uh, that's all we're doing next week is we're just going to have some fun leading up to the Kenobi series by talking about the the the, the movies that set that series up. Exactly, exactly. And we've probably talked about why we love the prequels before, but, you know, Star Wars fandom is fluid. Mm-hmm. So we're going to talk about it again, and it'll be a whole different conversation. So, you know, that's that's part of why we have this sort of evergreen podcast, is because <laughs> we, we really do have these these things that when we have topics we talk about repeatedly, it's because we have new thoughts about it. So. <laughs> for sure for sure and that's why as we start diving into this third act of attack of the clones we're gonna um we're gonna start with some scenes that we have talked about myself especially extensively over the years um but uh jason last week we left off with the 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 slaughter of the tuscans um so we're gonna pick up this week with with anakin coming back to the lars homestead carrying the body of shmi um and uh <laughs> my goodness um the uh the garage scene right <laughs> where anakin confesses to padme what he's what he's actually done i mean i've Oof. said th- i've said this time and time again over the years but this is one of my favorite scenes in star wars um and i think it's one of the really really good hayden christensen scenes you know i mean you can say what you want about his acting but i think he does have some scenes where he just really nails it uh, and i think this is one of them um, and to me, this whole scene is just, it's the epitome of that frustration. We, I mean, we talked all about his frustrations in act one and two. Um, you know, he is just, he's so confounded by the fact that he is the chosen one and yet could not save his mother. Um, he's and- failed. He's, he's basically had in his mind, what is the ultimate failure at, he is shaken completely to his core. Um, he has nothing to stand on anymore, uh, in, in his mind, you know, he's trying to grasp anything, you know, he doesn't necessarily even, I don't, I get the feeling he doesn't even necessarily want to reach out to the force for stable to stabilizing mm-hmm. himself because he touched the dark side so dramatically just the past night. Um, 
which is why he's out trying to fix things in the garage. Yeah. Because everything seems so much simpler when you're fixing things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, and, and when he when he shouts out, it's all Obi-Wan's fault. Um, I mean, I think for him, it's just it, that's always the quick, easy blame for him at this stage of his story, because Obi-Wan really does represent the Jedi to him. And, and mm-hmm. Obi-Wan is kind of this, you know, stick in the mud, live in the box type of Jedi that for Anakin to, to feel so limited in his power as the chosen one for him, that comes down to Obi-Wan is limiting me, right? Even though Obi-Wan is kind of just the personification of the, of who the Jedi order is at this time, right? Um, Obi-Wan is the exemplar Jedi of this era. And that particular way of being Jedi is something that's hemming Anakin in. Um, yeah. So it's, yeah. It's I, that's I mean that scene is just so good to me in that in that regard. Yeah, it and it you you mentioned it earlier that it really is one of Hayden's best scenes in this movie, if not the best scene in this movie. And this is why Hayden was cast for the role of Anakin is is specifically for scenes like this as he you know deals with the darkness and his inner demons. Um, and and I think it it really is you know, one of the most impactful scenes out of the entire movie. Although for me personally, um, Shmi dying uh, in, in Anakin's arms uh, and Prunella August's performance uh, always gets me uh, to some extent. So it, for whatever reason, in Phantom Menace and Attack of the Clones, Prunella August is the only one who gets me to tears. Um, so... <laughs> <laughs> She, I mean, she's she's great in in that role. Um, uh, well, and then you know we have a funeral for her, and this is such a poignant moment for Anakin when he falls to his knees and and swears this oath that he'll never fail like that again. Um, and what what came to my mind as I was actually rewatching it this week, probably just because I've been on such a high for Batman lately because I love the new movie so much, was this is Bruce Wayne. This is Bruce Wayne after his parents are murdered. He swears this oath that he will spend the rest of his days warring against crime. Um, I mean, this isn't exactly the same, but it's something very similar. It's somebody who's not fully developed, who doesn't fully understand how to deal with their grief. So they make this lofty claim that's ultimately impossible, right? Bruce mm-hmm. Wayne will never be able to defeat crime. Anakin Skywalker, in a certain sense, will never be able to defeat death, you know? Um, mm-hmm. So it's it's kind of this woundedness that's calling out to try to become more, right? It, it I feel like if you watch this scene up against the scene when he leaves Shmi and, and Phantom Menace, you know, he makes this promise, I will come back and free you, right? He puts this huge weight on his shoulder as, as a 10-year-old boy. And now 10 years later, as a 20-year-old young person, He's making this promise that he'll never fail and let someone he cares about die again. It's just like, whoa, dude, like you, you can't do that. And and I don't mean that like condemningly, but it's just like, go easy on yourself. Let yourself grieve, <laughs> you know? Right. And and here's the interesting thing is, is Anakin, uh, you know, putting this huge promise, this huge oath really uh, on himself uh, in both Phantom Menace and here in Attack of the Clones, is unable to keep either of them. Mm. You know, he's not able to free Shmi. Uh, Klieg Lars does. Um, while he's gone training to be a Jedi. Um, and in just three years, uh, at the end of this war, 
he fails in this promise to, you know, be able to save people from death when Padme dies mm. at his hand, no, no less. Mm-hmm. So it, it, it really is, um, in a sense, the, the, the motivation I feel is, is still innocent and, um, naive to an, to an extent because Anakin, Anakin is not a complicated person. Um, for the most part, he, he, he feels and he thinks, and it's very, it's easy to tell what he's, what's on his mind. Um, but, um, oh gosh, and I just lost my train of thought. I'm so sorry. <laughs> That's all right. That's okay. Cause, uh, I, I'm going to, I'm going to expound on, on this element just a tiny bit more thinking, thinking forward into the story as well. Um, so I actually rewatched this, the third act today with, with the director's commentary from the Blu-ray and George Lucas talked about how these scenes are really about sinking their teeth in the fact that for Anakin power is the answer to all of his troubles, right? He needs more power. Um, and you know, I mean, there's that great moment in, in revenge of the Sith when he says to Padme and Mustafar, you know, love can't save you, Padme, only my new powers can do that. And the thing that ultimately teaches Anakin the the illusion of that belief is Luke. Luke loves him so much that he refuses to kill him. I, you know, and it kind of made me reinterpret that scene from Return of the Jedi when Luke throws the blade away. It's less about a statement to the Emperor and it's more about a statement to his father. He refuses to kill his father. It's not about so much standing up to the Emperor as I refuse to kill my father. I'm not going to fight anymore because I love him too much. And it is, it's, it's that love and that brings Anakin back because then it's Anakin who learns that true power comes from giving yourself away in love, you know, and that's what, that's what Anakin does. That's how Anakin brings balance to the force. Um, so yeah. it's, it's kind of wild that in this moment too, it's, it's Anakin just, he really needs power. That's going to fix all of the problems in his life, but he's wrong. He's just wrong about that. That's an illusion. It, and it is interesting because, he is very powerful in the force um, beyond his years. Mm. And, you know, people see it. People recognize it. You know, some of them, like Mace Windu, begrudgingly, mm. uh, you know, and enough so that Palpatine can tell him earlier on in the movie, I see you becoming greatest of all Jedi, even more powerful than Master Yoda. You know, uh he is powerful, but he doesn't seem to to think that when it comes to these situations because that power that he has can't help him save or or do the things that he really wants to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and and he just thinks, well, I just need to be more powerful, and that will will fix all of this, um, which is is not the case. Right. Right. Um. Yeah, and I, I I was paying attention as I watched it this time too, Jason, just because it was cool to see Joel Egerton and, um, gosh, I'm such a jerk. I don't remember the actor's name that plays Baru, who's coming back for Kenobi. Um, so as you do the Google, uh, there's a great shot though when when um, first off when we get the wide angle shot of the funeral itself, we do see Baru holding Owen's hand, which I just think is very sweet and tender. Um, and then when R2 rolls up and Everybody turns to look at him. I don't know why this just grabbed me, but if you watch that scene, 
you'll see Owen put his hand on Baru's shoulder, almost as if he's about to like pull her behind him. Cause like just all of a sudden this droid comes up kind of like warningly. And I, again, this is just my interpretation, but it's almost like Owen's about ready to like put himself between Baru and whatever that potential danger could be. So I was just like, Ooh, I like that. Yeah. 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 He, he's preparing for anything. That's for sure. Um, and it's, uh, Bonnie peace, Bonnie peace. Uh, yeah, she's, Thank you. um, Baru Lars from the prequels and soon to be Kenobi. So, uh, looking forward to having them all back again in Star Wars. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, then we, of course, get the message from Obi-Wan that needs to be resent to Coruscant. Um, something I was thinking about with all this stuff, though, is uh, the fact that Anakin is told to stay put and he doesn't. <laughs> Mace Windu tells him to stay put. He doesn't. Uh, that's right. going to be that, that, that little theme reoccurs in the book Brotherhood. So just a quick plug. Yep. Read Mike Chen's Brotherhood. It's amazing. Um, but uh, uh-huh. but Anakin, Anakin in this moment, though, is going to weirdly obey. Like he's like, OK, master. And I don't know if that's maybe because Mace Windu is one of the highest ranking Jedi in the council. Um, he can maybe he feels more flippant with Obi-Wan. But. Padme's decision to go rescue Obi-Wan, and I will say part of the reason I was thinking this way is in part because of the novel by R.A. Salvatore, which we talked about a few weeks ago. Um, But Padme doesn't necessarily choose to go specifically to rescue Obi-Wan and be the hero. I think in part it's to bring Anakin into action to help shake him a little bit out of this like despair he's he's kind of wallowing and it's not to say that she i don't think she's trying to get him to try to ignore it or pretend it's not there but in this moment if they just stay there he's just gonna wallow and start eating himself alive in that despair and guilt so padme also sees this as an opportunity to like yes go do the right thing and try to help obi-wan but also uh it's a way of showing love for anakin it's a way of showing like i care about you so much that i'm gonna try to get you out of your despairing headspace and get you into action to to give you an opportunity to be the hero again, even possibly, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and well, the thing is also, and, and I think R. A. Salvatore picked up on a few things in the scene because Anakin is very subdued mm-hmm. and almost kowtowed in this entire scene. Like he's uh, he's searching for any kind of anchor and is you know. And I, again, I'm, I'm reading into this scene because of the novel, um, but is is hoping that he doesn't get in a situation where he might fail again. He doesn't want to be in a situation mm-hmm. where he might fail again and lose someone else he cares about, right? Um, name, namely Obi Wan, uh, and and Padme. The entire time she's known Anakin, he has been one to make quick decisions decisive choices and is a man of action. And here he is saying, you heard master Windu. He told me to stay here and protect you. And he's essentially kicking the dirt and pouting. Mm. And, and she's like, all right, forget this. Uh, and just starts powering up the ship. And it's like, well, if you're going to protect me, I'm going to Geonosis to help Obi-Wan. So <laughs> you're going to have to come along. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and that, that doesn't go unnoticed by Anakin because the smile he gets on his face when she starts powering everything up is 
speaks to the you know to most a the most genuine uh, gratitude and affection that I think he's had for Padme this entire movie. He's mm. been infatuated with her, but this is that smile to me reads as pure genuine gratitude and affection because of what she's doing for him. Oh sure, um, yeah, and and he recognizes it. Yeah. Yeah, and and right, like, you know, don't you want to help him? He's your friend, your mentor. He's like my father, right? He doesn't want to. Mm-hmm. Geez, imagine if he lost his mother and his father on the same day. You know, like, holy hell, um, that would be brutal. So, yeah. By the way, that's the second time in the movie Anakin basically calls Obi Wan a father. Um, yeah. So, which well, first is in the Outlander Club, right? And I imagine you probably don't get that sort of language from most apprentices for their masters again because of anakin's unique experience um so just think that's worth Mm -hmm. noting um Uh, you're probably right because he has had a mother now he he knows you know what to expect for a father and and that's why he uses that language i would i would imagine yeah yeah uh well then we get to go into that great scene that (laughs) we both love we get to see Dooku really for the first time being very Dooku-y. Yeah. Well, I do want to just mention mm. that, of course, we, we do get the, the scene where Masimita and Palpatine right. manipulate Jar Jar into being the one to decide to um, push for an, a, you know another amendment to the Constitution to give the Chancellor emergency powers, uh, which is, you know, a, a heartbreaking moment for me because I... Jar Jar just wants to do good and he wants to make, you know, help his friends and to make Padme proud. And he's such a simple soul and they completely twist and manipulate him. And it's just heartbreaking. Yeah. So, yeah. And that's, I mean, that's, I feel like that's George's reflection on what, you know, kind of tyrannical like people can do with the the sim the simplicity of people's desire to do good how they can mm-hmm. twist it and manipulate it um yeah and that's exactly what they're doing to, to poor little jar jar yeah innocence has no place in politics right right <sighs> um but anyway continue to do to do <laughs> oh such a fantastic scene uh I, I've always loved this scene um, as as Dooku comes in and and interrogates uh, Obi Wan and you know weaves this story, which is mostly true uh, about the Sith controlling the Senate, and tries to seek Obi Wan's help, uh, even bringing in Qui Gon Jinn as you know emotional or nostalgic leverage. Um, so, but yeah, speaking of Qui-Gon, great... really quick mm-hmm. question. So when he says, I wish Qui-Gon were here now, I could use his help. Qui-Gon Jin would never join you. Would Qui-Gon have joined Dooku? What do you think? Uh, that would, that is a complicated question to answer. Um, if it was a purely political motivated movement, um, the separatists and Dooku was not a Sith Lord in secret. Um, I think there is a reasonable chance 
that Qui-Gon would have helped in some way. Mm-hmm. Um, but Qui-Gon is also very connected to the will of the Force in a way that most Jedi in this era are not. And I think if Dooku, you know, was like he is here in the movie, um, a Sith, uh, I think Qui-Gon would have picked up that something was wrong Mm. and would have stayed far away from it. So. Yep. I'm in. Go ahead. I was going to say, yeah, that's, that's kind of how I answer the question in my own head too, is if Qui-Gon had known he was a Sith, I don't think he would have joined him for sure. And I think if anything, he would have tried to bring Dooku back and tried to found some sort of middle ground. Um, Mm -hmm. But yes, I think if Dooku had not become a Sith, but it was just someone who walked away from the Jedi and then also created this political movement, um, I could see Qui-Gon in some way helping for sure. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Not, not, not anything like in any form of like, official leadership because that's not Qui-Gon's, you know, personality. Uh but, you know, something where he might try to be a go between uh between the separatists and the republic or something like that. Mm-hmm. I, I very well could see Qui-Gon in that role. Um but of course, we'll never know. Right. We can't know. Um and Right. So like you said, Dooku kind of paints out this narrative for Obi-Wan, tells him the truth completely, <laughs> and Obi-Wan just refuses to believe it. Uh, he just he like there's an, and I think there's an arrogance to Obi-Wan in this scene. You know, I don't believe you like as far as Sidious controlling the Senate, the Jedi would know. Right. That's his defense. The Jedi would know like he's just so. That's I, I would say that's kind of Obi-Wan's kind of tunnel vision is that the Jedi are just they're ultimately always right. Like there's a little bit of Jocasta new in him. Um, you know, every Jedi is a little bit arrogant in this era, it seems like. And I think for yeah. for Obi-Wan, he just he can't believe that um, whether or not he may think it could be true. Like he's not going to let himself believe it because of what that could say about the limitations of this thing he loves so much. Right. And it, I think a part of it is just a bit of uh, denial, you know, mm-hmm. it, because he responds so instantaneously. It, it's it's not like he's had time to process anything Dooku is putting in front of him. Um, but it obviously sticks with Obi-Wan because he brings it up at the end of the movie when he's talking with Mace Windu and Yoda back on Coruscant. He's like, you know, what do you think is, you know, mm-hmm. Is a Sith Lord controlling everything? Um, and that's when Yoda says that, you know, Dooku's just full of lies now because he's a Sith. So, um, but in this moment here, it's just an automatic denial. Right. It's just like, that. that's not possible. We would know about it because yep. there, there's no way a Sith, you know, strong in the dark side of the Force could rise to that sort of prominence Right under the Jedi nose, the nose of the Jedi Order, except except Obi Wan, he already has. <laughs> um. <laughs> yeah, and then right, and and I think something fans have loved talking about ever since this movie came out, so for twenty years now, is is Dooku genuine? And you know, to Obi Wan, join me, and we'll we'll join, we'll destroy the Sith. And you know, I think if if Dooku really knew Obi Wan, which 
it's kind of implied that he really doesn't like he knows of him. He knows Qui-Gon spoke highly of him. Um, I, there does seem to be like a, a few little brief hints of some level of like care for Obi-Wan. Like, you know, the fact that they are connected through Qui-Gon um, does create like a certain level of care from Dooku for Obi-Wan. But as far as like, is this offer genuine? Um, I mean, if, if he really knows Obi-Wan, he knows Obi-Wan, there's no way he'll take it. Um, but at the same time, it'll it'll create all this disruption and confusion in in the Jedi, which is a perfect aim. And if for some reason Obi-Wan says yes, great, he's got an ally against Sidious. And I will say, when I was watching this with director's commentary on, George Lucas gave his answer, which technically would be the definitive answer. And he said, yes, in this moment, Dooku's offer is genuine because that's the way of the Sith to overthrow your master. And for Ju- George Lucas said that for him, this was a mirrored scene from Empire. This is Vader making the offer to Luke, not because he loves Luke, but because he wants Luke to help him kill the emperor. This is si- this is Dooku making the same offer to Obi-Wan because he wants to kill Sidious. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I- I would say, you know, personally, from my my perspective and my my understanding of the situation, is that it is a genuine offer. Mm-hmm. Um, Dooku, uh, whether he knows Obi Wan Kenobi or not, uh, having a Jedi Knight as powerful as Obi Wan Kenobi uh, as a you know as an ally is always a good thing uh, because he will also make a very difficult opponent. Um, so. If he can turn Obi-Wan or at least sow seeds of disruption uh, that might come to fruition later, uh, that's perfect. Um, He probably goes into it, you know, genuinely offering, but without any, you know, he's not putting any stake on Obi-Wan joining. He's he's not putting any any bets that Obi-Wan will join, but he's going to see what he can do and kind of get an idea from Obi-Wan kind of where the Jedi headspace is at with this whole separatist issue, I think, you know, because you said, you know, he cares. I'm not sure he cares about Obi-Wan, but he's definitely uh, playing up the whole friendship aspect uh, to, to make himself and the separatists look better in Obi-Wan's eyes. Hmm. You know, Dooku is calculating. Um, Sidious is, is, is manipulative and conniving. Dooku is calculating. Um, not to the extent that Sidious is, but he is an intelligent person. And everything is about optics with Dooku. And we see that throughout the Clone Wars. Everything is about how it it looks to everyone else. And up until this point, at the end of this movie, nobody knows that Dooku has become a Sith Lord. Right. You know, hey, he's just been this Jedi who has gone back to his homeworld, taken uh, a family title, and is now, uh, you know, in good faith, you know, helping to shepherd this new political movement that is rising. Um, so, yeah. He, he's he's very calculating when it comes to perspective and optics, uh, and and this is just another way to try and turn those optics from something Obi Wan might have seen or heard, and sow some confusion in there about how good or bad things might be. Mm. So, 
Yeah. Um, well, the, so now we, of course, get the scene where they play Jar Jar, right? He gives the emergency powers to to the Chancellor. Um, and, I, you know, this scene, I mean, George has been very clear throughout the prequel trilogy that this is the story of how democracies become, you know, tyrannical powers, how, you know, how something good can get twisted in something so terrible. Um, and you know, this movie, this movie was being written in 2000, 2001, um, you know, shortly after the September 11th attacks on America. And not long after that, you had George Bush sign into law, the Patriot Act, which was a huge trampling on on individual freedom in America, like tremendous amounts of individual freedoms were trampled on by the Patriot Act. And I think George was somewhat reflecting on the fact that these cycles continue, right? In times of crisis, People sometimes make drastic decisions, um, you know, and uh, so I thought it was like it was particularly relevant even when it came out. You know, I don't think it was specifically about that, but it was just a reminder no. of being careful of what happens when when government powers get too big and and start taking away freedoms that should be insured. It, it's funny because, um, you know, a lot of the script was written prior to to uh that attack and the patriot act um you know a lot of george luke and he said this a lot of george lucas's inspiration for the rise of the empire and palpatine in particular is straight out of uh 1930s 1940s germany with hitler and the rise of the third reich and um and world war ii Mm -hmm. so it's just interesting how you know we we humans uh, refuse to to learn from history sometimes um, because you know obviously Hitler did the same thing that Caesar did yeah, uh, right. <laughs> right and it history just repeats itself uh, and George Lucas happened to hit upon a theme that became immediately relevant when the movie hit theaters yeah. so <laughs> yeah yeah. Um, and, and I've always found it interesting too how Mace and Yoda are kind of, you know, they're up in that booth above it all, and I just always found it interesting that they're they're not offering some sort of counter argument like you're like they're just okay with this happening, right? Because and Mace even says he's like, so it's done then, <laughs> you know, like there's just this surrender to this happening, like they're just letting it happen, which I just find very odd, like that they. They don't well, have anything to say about that. Well, you know, they they definitely don't seem to agree with the, you know, with what's happening. They they seem very discouraged and disheartened that it's happened. Uh, it, it is a resignation. Yes. Um, They're super that, resigned that to it, that's for sure. Yeah. And, and it's just like, well, this is what's happening. But it is because the Jedi do not have um, a an official position within – the Republic government, they are there as advisors, you know, and, and to, to stand in as negotiators when, when called upon. Um, and, and if the Republic decides to create a grand army in order to fight the separatists, well, then it's up to the Jedi to do the best that they can in spite of that. Mm -hmm. Uh, because what else are they going to do? You know, yeah. I mean, I, some of us who would love to, you know, 
try and rewrite history and preserve the Jedi Order in this instance would say, well, you just uh, walk away and, you know, do your own thing. But that's not where things are in in this galaxy. The Jedi aren't just going to abandon the Republic in an, a, an hour of crisis. So, sure. They, yeah. They've been walked into this corner and they have no choice but to see it through. Right. Yeah. And well, I guess that's part of, you know, looking back at the opening of the movie and, you know, they ask Yoda right at the beginning, do you really think it'll come to war? I don't know. The dark side clouds everything. A little bit later in the movie, Mace confesses. I think it's in time we inform them that our ability to use the force is diminished. Right. So the Jedi have in a sense like we get we get a sensibility that the Jedi have always been able to have like some sense of what's coming um, so that they don't have to be so reactionary. Um, but because of this shroud of the dark side and it becomes even thicker with the start of the Clone War, um, their ability to see see ahead, to think ahead, to, to plan ahead has been so limited that they are they have become almost this reactionary force um, and reactionary forces mm-hmm. are never as effective. Um, so. Yeah, that, that that's a good point. Um, and you know when Yoda says visit the cloners on Camino and see this army they've created, um, oh my god, I would just love to see just like a one-off comic of just that. I would love to see Yoda talking to <laughs> Lama Su and Nalase, um, and uh, oh my gosh, Tan Wee, right? Because they're, yeah. they're so tall, and then you've got little Yoda. I would just love to see what was it like when Yoda went to Camino. <laughs> He's like, you know, he's barely taller than like Obi-Wan and Mace Windu's knee. You know, does he even come up to, you know, Lama Su's knee at this point? I don't know. Um, yeah, it, it would be such a, a, a hilarious visual juxtaposition that I too have wanted to see this for <laughs> a long time. So if anybody knows of any like fan art or anything, out there of something like this i'd love to see it yeah or um, if you're yeah, an artist and want to make it we'd love to see it <laughs> yes yes if you if you decide to draw it share it with us and we will share it with everyone else yes. because well at least everyone else that follows us because not <laughs> that far reaching i can't share it with everyone else um but <laughs> yeah but yeah no it, it that's that's definitely a scene i would love to see because not only do I think that the visual would be funny, but in seriousness, um, I think it would have been a really heavy uh, conversation and decision for Yoda mm-hmm. um, going through and, and taking charge of an army and taking, you know, whatever is available and ready to go immediately to take it to Geonosis and rescue the Jedi there. Yeah. Um, yeah, because that would that would be such a such a heavy thing for for Yoda. Because yes, they're they're involved. It, it's it's conflict. It's it, war is coming, but making that decision and taking the clones effectively, you know, means that he is starting the war there. Mm-hmm. Because they're going to be in conflict with the separatists as soon as they land. Mm-hmm. So, and having that action, whether he's doing it at the behest of the chancellor or not, having that action on his conscience has got to just weigh on his heart. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. 
Yeah. Well, you know, and that 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 makes me think, you know, obviously the Kenobi series is going to explore extensively the despair Obi-Wan takes with him into exile. I I mean, I would still love some sort of incarnational story about Yoda's journey on Dagobah. You know, what I don't think that'd be a TV series, but whether it's a comic or just a like a, a novella, that's something they used to do actually back in the EU days is they would actually write novellas. Like I'd love to get that today. Like just throw one in like the back of a novel or something. It'd be so cool just to get something about Yoda. Um, and who's mm-hmm. to say that we won't right? like, they're always coming back to things in star Wars. That's the wonder of star Wars. Um, but yeah, that's a great point, Jason, like him, him going there is going to have such huge impact on the start of the clone war. Yeah. Yeah. And and seeing that settle on his soul would just be heartbreaking, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But then we kick things off with Geonosis. Um, Anakin and Padme land. They get through a huge scuffle in a droid foundry as they try to figure out what's going on. Um, the best part of that is R2 and 3PO getting through the factory. <laughs> um you know, yeah. I, I, I don't, I, I tell me I'm wrong, uh, you know, <laughs> but I don't have much to say about that scene other than it's might be, um, one of R2's most heroic moments in the Star Wars saga is saving Padme's life, um, right there. Because if R2 wasn't there, well, Padme wouldn't be alive and a whole lot of things would have changed in in this entire saga so (laughs) (laughs) yeah i i don't really have honestly i don't have anything to say about this is the one particular section of the movie i honestly fast forward every time i watch this movie i just it just i just doesn't do it for me i just don't like it it's just a cgi fest of silliness like i don't hate it i don't i don't feel the need to be like oh it's so stupid and if you like it it's dumb i just don't like it and that's fair like i don't have to (laughs) Um, you don't have to yeah it's it's fine like it 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 doesn't like take away from my enjoyment of the movie, but this is the joy of like home video. I don't have to watch it. I can just hit the fast forward button. <laughs> so, so I do right. but, like, I do that with a lot of movies, you know, that I love. There's always almost every movie I love. There's always a section when I'm watching it at home for the millionth time. It's just like, I'm going to fast forward this. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, yeah, that's yeah. totally fair. Um, I do. I mean, I will. I do really like the shot at the end, though, of like when Anakin's saber gets broken again and just says, Obi-Wan's going to kill me. I, I always chuckle at that. It's great. It's so funny. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just like, oh, we just did this earlier. Why? Why are we back here again? Um, but yeah, it, it it's great. It's great. And then uh, obviously we we begin in the arena, which is probably my favorite set piece of the entire movie mm. um the creature battle is fun because well, hold, hold uh, on, I, I always like seeing before we get to hmm? any creature battles we got a love pledge to talk about that's true i'm sorry i'm sorry <laughs> that's, that's all right jason this may be a scene that other people are like well i fast forward that <laughs> um, <laughs> which is valid but uh so it, it's so i was i was literally thinking this the other day as i was watching the movie there are two very weird ways of expressing love in this movie. One is that scene by the fireplace where Anakin says, you're in my soul tormenting me. Very odd way to say that you're in love with someone. Padme says, I've been dying a little bit each day since you came back into my life. Another very odd way to say you love somebody. (laughs) Um, Uh So like, these are Uh just, 
these are just very odd expressions. But then to look at the so to look away from the like awkward ridiculousness. All right, so maybe what's 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 what else is going on here? Well, Padme in her mind. Now this is something that never sold believable to me. It's like Padme's supposed to really believe that they're going to their death here. That just it just it never feels. I mean, of course we know that they're our heroes. They're fine. They're going to be fine, right? Um, and there's not enough in there, at least for me, to feel like even Padme genuinely thinks she's going to die. But put that aside again. Put that all away. Like it's it's not perfectly executed, which is which is true of some things in, in all the Star Wars movies. Um, but Padme does in this this character moment, she believes they're going to die, and in the face of that impending doom right like and people talk about this all the time that people on their deathbeds make huge revelations sometimes padme realizes if life is about to be ended why not just be fully honest about what she's been guarded about this whole time which is she has fallen in love with him so she does she makes that confession that she does in fact love anakin because if they're not going to make it out of this she doesn't want to die lying to him she wants to be honest um and and then I know I, I mentioned this when we were doing our breakdown of the soundtrack a few weeks back, but as they're kind of brought out into the arena and we get that huge swelling of the Across the Stars theme, um, it's my favorite moment of Across the Stars in this movie. And I just love it because finally, like the truth of how they feel about each other is being brought into the light. So um, that's why I really like that scene. Again, the dialogue to me is still odd, but I appreciate it for the fact that like, I don't want to die lying. I'm going to tell you the truth here. And uh, yeah, so, so it works for me in that regard. Yeah. And, and to be fair, you know, we know that help is on the way. Mm -hmm. Um, The audience knows fully that help is on the way. So, you know, but Anakin, Padme and Obi-Wan have no clue. Uh, Padme probably thinks that, you know, they're, you know, they know that stuff is happening on Geonosis uh, but they don't know that Anakin and Padme went. Um, and so the question to the Senate is, do they save Obi-Wan Kenobi or do they let the Jedi, you know, leave the Jedi to his fate in order to try and appease the separatists? Mm-hmm. Who knows? You know, that's, that's probably the situation as she understands it uh, back on Coruscant. Um, and doesn't have any faith that they're going to come to a decision fast enough to do anything. Mm -hmm. So she thinks they're going to die. Absolutely. 100%. Um, and it's not a, a, a big leap, uh, from the situation they're in. So (laughs) fair enough. Fair enough. Um, but yeah, it, it is a great scene. Um, in in the fact that finally they get to, at least with each other, get things out in the open and clear that air so that should they make it out of this situation, a starting place to move forward now together. Yeah. So. Yeah. Uh, well, then we have a monster battle. Um, which... I always love a good monster fight in Star Wars. You love a good monster fight. So uh, on the director commentary, George said that this was basically the Raincor fight, but in in daylight. (laughs) He was like, (laughs) he goes, this was the Raincor fight, but with three Raincors and in daylight. And I was like, fair enough, George. (laughs) Sounds about right. Um, I I do. It's such a George way to put things, too. Um, 
<laughs> but you know, it, it is basically the Roman Colosseum, um, mm-hmm. and you know, it, in a sense, it's the Christians being thrown to the lions right here. Mm. Um, so, uh, yeah, it, it's 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 a great. It's it's really funny because obviously I, the Genosians start chanting defense at one point, and it's just everyone is so excited to see these monsters just tear a couple of people apart. Um, <laughs> it's the national pastime of Geonosia, I suppose. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but the monster battle is fun. I don't have anything really to say about it until we get to this party is over. Yeah, the the only thing I was going to point out, um, and just my favorite part of the monster battle, is when uh, Anakin kind of f- uses the Force on the Reek. Because um, I just felt like it was a good callback to earlier the, in the movie when they're about to go into the Outlander Club where Obi-Wan says, patience, use the Force, think. Anakin's doing that in the midst of this battle. He's actually kind of tapping into that. He's calming himself and therefore able to calm this Reek and utilize it as an ally in the fight. So I just, I just... That's my favorite part of the creature fight because it's just really cool to see Anakin kind of calm himself and then and bring bring this thing that's supposed to be the the thing that kills him into you know onto their side. Right, it, it's a great moment. I do love that a lot, uh, and I also love the moment where uh, Anakin and Obi Wan are, are assessing the situation, about ready to to figure out what's going on with these monsters, and Anakin says, well, "What about Padme?" and Everyone looks over and she's already climbing the pillar and he says, well, she seems to be on top of things. So Padme can, can handle herself. Mm. Um, so <laughs> it's, it's pretty great. Um, but yeah. And then we get the Jedi, which this is my favorite scene in the entire movie. And I don't have a ton to say about it because it's just Jedi versus battle droids <laughs> in the most epic way we have ever seen it ever. Uh, and it, it just brings warm feelings to my heart to quote Yoda. Um, yeah. And I love seeing all the different Jedi and all the different styles that they squeeze in there, the, you know, the fighting styles and stuff. And, um, yeah. Yeah. I, well, I remember again, cause you know, we've been doing this for a long time, Jason, and, and I know how much you love this particular sequence. And I remember you've mentioned in the past about how, you know, you would wear out your DVD cause you'd pause it and look at every little Jedi in the background. And it's funny cause again, with that commentary on today, it, it, again, if any of you have the Blu-rays, I recommend, I, I try to do this every couple of years, just watch the movies with the commentaries. Cause there's always really neat stuff in there. Um, but they talked about how every single actor that was playing a Jedi they trained them in a different style of, of lightsaber combat to try to give each Jedi a unique sense of fighting, um, which is just really cool and a lot of work because that's a lot of extras. Yeah, um, yeah, it's it's it is a lot, and um, you know, I don't know. I I I probably have picked out, I don't know, maybe like four dozen different you know extras that they kind of you know, place all over the place uh, between, you know, some of just the big, the big heavy, you know, shots of just like tons of people or just, you know, an occasional Jedi here or there in the background. You know, there's a lot of people. It was a lot of work stitching this scene together. Um, And then of course, you know, just animating all the the droids to, um, to go with whatever, 
movements and and fighting uh, choreography they filmed with the Jedi in front of blue screen in a sandy pit. Um, so, and the fact that that was all filmed, you know, on blue screen, but then they also filmed the miniature that they put in it. The, the, the compositing of everything to stitch together this scene is just insane because mm-hmm. um, it's huge. Uh, and it works in my opinion. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think so too. I mean, just that, that it's something every star Wars fan wanted to see. It was like a massive Jedi battle. And just that shot of the Jedi charging the droids with lightsabers lit is just so epic. I mean, it's awesome in the, the deepest sense of what awesome means, which is like filling you with awe and wonder. Um, Mm -hmm. and I, I even love just from the get go, like when with maces, this party's over and then you just see even in the distance, all these lightsabers lighting up all over the arena. It's awesome. Um, it really is. It's so cool. And it gets me giddy and excited every time. (laughs) (laughs) And, and, you know, I, I, I always bring this up when talking about this moment and I don't care, but it just, that moment always makes me think what would happen if Dooku and Mace fought? Um, and again, that was one of the catalysts for all those years ago, starting to do matchups when we did them for so long. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I'm still up in the air. I feel like it's, I feel like it's a really close fight. Um, I was watching the movie yesterday for its 20th with, with our friend Joe, Joe Hogan and our buddy jazz, who was on a few weeks ago. And they both said that they think Mace would win, um, which really surprised me. So I don't know. I, I think it's really close. Yeah. I don't think so. I don't think so. I think Dooku would have won. Um, and it wouldn't, it would have been close, but I think Dooku, uh, and, and here's why, uh, because Mace Windu still views Dooku as a former Jedi Mm. and Dooku knows that he's not. Mm. So Dooku has no qualms about fighting Mace. Um, even despite their history. Yeah. Mace still will have qualms. Um, and, and that will, will be his, his undoing in the situation. And in my opinion, um, you know, as much as he and, and some of the other Jedi preach against attachments, uh, he has an immense respect for Dooku that is seen throughout this movie. Mm -hmm. Um, and at this point in time, if they fought, Right then and there, in the uh, the box up top, I think that would have clouded his his judgment and reason uh, when it came to to fighting Dooku just enough. Hmm. Yeah, I can see it that way too. Um, and Dooku is supposed to be one of the most you know one of the greatest swordsmen in the galaxy in the history of the Jedi Order. Um, so uh-huh. yeah, yeah, it, it, I just still would love to see. I think it'd be such a cool fight. Um, but, uh, yeah. And just a quick plug. If, if, if you like reading star Wars books, Matthew Stover's Shatterpoint, which is the only Mace Windu story I've ever enjoyed. Cause I just don't, I'm not a big Mace Windu fan, but that so much of that novel centers around Mace struggling with the fact of, I should have just struck at Dooku when I had the chance. He kind of sees himself as part of the reason the war escalated is I had the chance to take Dooku down and I didn't. Um, so if if you're interested in reading a, a really great Mace Windu story, uh, Matthew Stover's Shatterpoint, it's awesome. It's such a good book. Um, it is quite good. Uh, it is very good. 
um, no longer officially canon, right? But they still reference they still reference stuff from the book in canon material. Yeah. Um, well, so right right before the clone troopers arrive to to, to save everybody, um, I actually really love. I mean, I've always loved that visual aerial shot of just all those droids just compounding the surviving Jedi into this tight circle, right? I mean, just very typical, like Western type of story, right? Like everybody retreating to defend the wagon type of a thing. Um, but also it just really struck me how much it symbolizes what the clone war is going to mean for the Jedi. This, this war Mm. they're about to be dragged into, they're going to be overwhelmed and just shrunk, 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 shrunk into non-existence. Um, and uh, it's almost like this scene predicts that even before the war starts, as soon as the Jedi get involved in this war, they're just going to get hemmed in until they cease to exist. Yeah, just picked off one by one till there's not enough left. So mm-hmm. it, it it is it is a war of attrition, and the Jedi are the victims. Yeah. Um. It and to people like Palpatine, it doesn't matter in some respect, whether or not uh, the Republic wins a battle or loses a battle as long as the Jedi dies. So right in the process. Right. And, and we, we do get, you know, as you said, almost sort of a, a glimpse, a, a prophetic glimpse as to what this will mean for the Jedi as they are there hunkered down against the, you know, the weight of the entire army here, just a few of them tired, hurting at, you know, at their wits end um, and unable to do anything to stop the onslaught. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, but then Padme says, look, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I mean, I can remember 20 years ago. It was the first time in any movie I've ever pumped my fist. I was just so, it was like, it was so cool. A while back, maybe, geez, maybe a year or two ago, we did an episode about our favorite rescue scenes in Star Wars. And I I know this was in my top three. Um, And, oh my gosh, it's just so cool as those, those, those Lat Republic gunships descend into the arena. And I, the, the Republic gunship is one of my favorite Star Wars ships ever. I just love the design. It just it just screams World War II to me. Uh, specifically the bubble turrets. Those look exactly like mm. the bubble turrets on a B-17 flying fortress. Like, um, just such a cool aesthetic. So it's just so neat to see them drop in. And the Phase 1 clone trooper helmet is the coolest trooper helmet to me in all of Star Wars. Um, like, uh, just such a great moment. Yeah, it, that's my favorite uh, trooper helmet, too. Um, but yeah, it, it is such a great moment, uh, and it's so exciting and the music is perfect in that, uh, you know, as it swells with a, with a triumph, uh, and of course gives us one of the most awkward lines Yoda has ever <laughs> said ever around the survivors, a perimeter create, which, you know, is memorable in its own right because of that so (laughs) uh i love it It, it's a great moment and then they you know they fly away and the war is on yes it is uh and as that war begins um you know i i think just a couple things that that kind of 
stick out to me as, as the the Battle of Geonosis fully takes shape outside of the arena. I mean, they're very clearly showing us Jedi taking the clone troopers into battle, right? So it's it's just immediately established who are going to be the leaders of the Republic clone army, um, and and Yoda and Mace, you know, as they're they're flying around, talk about how they can't let Dooku escape because if Dooku escapes, everything's just going to get escalated. So right, so right, and that, it moves that plot forward a little bit of like they've got to at least try to get Dooku right. Um, that could at least mm-hmm. prevent full out war breaking out. Um, but yeah, and then just, you know, the the shots uh, of the land battle, like just in the trenches almost, right? Like you're there getting the POV from the clone troopers. I mean, it just really gives you a sense of just the chaos and and craziness of a battlefield. Yeah, and it and it's quickly choked with smoke and explosions and dust as, you know, things blow up, you know, ships come crashing down onto the battlefield. Uh, droids and clones, you know, all over the place. Uh, Jedi marching into battle. Uh, it's just incredible chaos. And then you've got some of the these great little moments where we have the Separatist Council watching what's going on. Mm-hmm. And we get a glimpse. Our first, you know, canonical glimpse at what will ultimately be the Empire's super weapon uh, in the form of the Death Star plans. Yeah, that that I mean, again, 20 years ago, that definitely took me by surprise. Um, I didn't expect it at all. No, and it either. was there and I was like, what is this? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I was like, w- w- the Death Star. And I remember actually, so <laughs> I, I'm going to own it now because, uh, you know, I think all of us as Star Wars fans are always in some degree guilty of being like, well, that's not how blank did it. So I don't know if you remember Jason, the Jedi Academy trilogy, which growing up was my favorite uh, star Wars books by Kevin J. Anderson. They actually, we meet the builder of the death star. I think her name is like Quee Zucks or something. I'm probably not pronouncing it right. Um, but she, she's the, the one who designed the death star and she didn't know what it was going to be used for. But so like when I saw it there and I was like, no, 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 no. We know who built the death star. It wasn't these bug creatures. So I remember 20 years ago being like sort of annoyed by it. <laughs> I mean, now I think it's great. I love that. Again, even that was something that was corrupted from the prequels. Um, and again, another plug to a great book is the James Lucino's uh, catalyst. Um, that book is all it's mm-hmm. it's a prequel novel to Rogue One, but it's all about uh Krennic and Galen Erso cultivating what essentially will become the Death Star. And we learn about how they use the Geonosians and then basically just dispose of the Geonosians. Um which we yeah. also is also and, hinted and, at in Rebels too, when they go back to Geonosis and they're like, Where are all the Geonosians? They've been wiped out by the Empire. Yeah. As you know, sort of a a fail safe to, uh, you know, protect the secrecy of this thing. And, and obviously, you know, the, the, the designs that Genosians have are probably primarily just for the superstructure, you mm. know, yeah. it, it, it's there's, because we do know that Galen and, um, Krennic, uh, Krennic is there as sort of like the project manager of the whole thing. Uh, but he's brought Galen in to, develop and design and find the best way to put into practice the super weapon, which is the big complicated piece of all of this that nobody has really figured out yet. 
Um, and so what we have here is probably, you know, the, the basic blueprints and schematics of how the superstructure will work, uh, which is why they're able to start construction on it by the end of, you know, revenge of the Sith. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Um, well, I, I want to talk about the, when they're chasing after Dooku, um, Mm. They notice Dooku's there on a speeder, so Obi-Wan and Anakin, they're going to go get him. And I love how Padme Padme says they should get some help. And there's there, I love the confidence in Obi-Wan, the confidence in himself, himself and Anakin. You know, there isn't time. Anakin and I can handle this. And I've never read, like, I've never heard that as particularly arrogant. It's more confident. Like, Obi-Wan really does believe that he and Anakin have what it takes to subdue Dooku. I don't know if Obi-Wan really understands what a tall order that's going to be, but I think he just, he, but what he understands is that. Any delay here, though, could cost him slipping away. And Anakin and I together are very formidable. We can make we can make do right for yeah. for for whatever might need to happen. Um, and uh, yeah, and then of course Padme falls out, <laughs> um, and we get a, a, another reminder of who Obi-Wan and Anakin are, right? And this goes all the way back to one of the earliest scenes in the movie between them on the balcony and Anakin saying like, I'd rather dream about Padme. Like I'm, I'm all about her. You've made this commitment, Anakin stay, you know, stay focused. And it's the same thing here. You know, um, Anakin, Anakin's allegiance is to Padme. It's, it's two people. Um, whereas Mm Obi-Wan's is to the mission to duty. um, you know, and it, it's a reminder of that divide. And what finally pulls Anakin back into the moment is Obi-Wan reminding him what Padme would do, right? Like, I know you want to go back for her, but she would probably actually be pretty disappointed in you. <laughs> you know, like, keep your mind focused here and now where it belongs. Hey, Qui-Gon. Um, yeah. And, you know. Uh, so I, I mean, I've just always I've loved that scene and I love as it plays out. It's one of the few times in the movie we get the force theme and, and it's the force theme. There is all, there's almost like a gr- a grudging determination to it. It's it's this combination of like, yes, this is this is the way to go forward. But Anakin's kind of like he, it's like begrudgingly like, fine, I guess I'll do it, <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, he's. He's not happy about it, but he'll do it. And he knows that the sooner he can get this taken care of, the sooner he can go back and and help Padme. Um, which I think is ultimately why he he does it. Okay. Uh, but yeah, it, it is it is sort of a, a a crystallizing moment between Anakin and Obi Wan that really kind of defines the line that Anakin is going to be walking along for the rest of the war. Uh, and Obi-Wan's decision, especially, and I, I think we're seeing this, you know, in, in brotherhood, especially since he's no longer Anakin's master. Um, Obi-Wan's decision to not press the issue mm-hmm. and not, and not try and figure out everything. Um, about Anakin and Padme's relationship. He knows there is one, but he's going to kind of, as we'll see throughout the Clone Wars, kind of 
ease up on asking any uncomfortable questions. Uh, because Anakin is treading a line. And that sort of started right here in this moment. Yeah. For sure. Um, and then we get... The duel. The confrontation with Dooku. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, what stands out to me in the duel is, again, you know, the arrogance of Anakin to just rush right in. Um, you know, it, something he hasn't learned even three years later after the Clone Wars, when Obi-Wan has the high ground. Anakin, there's just, when he's angry and, you know, it just feeds this arrogance of his and he just rushes right in and he's immediately smacked back. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he he doesn't learn. He just gets more powerful um, <laughs> when it comes to this kind of thing. Uh, but I, I do think in this moment we get the uh, some of the best trash talking in any prequel duel um, from Dooku to Obi-Wan. You know, Master Kenobi, you disappoint me. Yoda holds you on such high esteem. Surely you can better... You know, um, <laughs> but yeah, and Dooku's having a blast. Like you can see it. He's he's just enjoying himself a little too much. Um, <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, and then yeah. of course we Yoda shows up, and that's the only thing that kind of puts Dooku kind of back on his heels because uh, he's been in such control the entire time uh, with Anakin and Obi Wan. Yeah, I mean, I will say 20 years ago, I did. I was like, oh my gosh, did he just cut off Obi-Wan's arm and leg? I was like, is he part bionic? And we just never knew. But I was glad it was just flesh wounds. Um, yeah. I mean, I've always loved Anakin fighting with the two lightsabers. And I remember seeing that in the trailer, and I was like, oh my god, I can't wait to see more of that fight. It was super disappointing that we saw the whole fight in the trailer. I mean, it's only like five seconds. It sucks. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't suck. I just It sucks that it's not longer to me. Um yeah. But uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's it's a fun little duel. I just I will say like 20 years ago when I saw that movie, I was because of how much I loved Duel of the Fates. I was I was like kind of bummed out that that was the lightsaber fight we got to end the movie. Because <laughs> like, eh, it's fine. But like there was nothing to it. Whereas Duel of Fates, right, is so involved. Um, but yeah, I, the thing that I love about Yoda showing up is I actually really I almost prefer the first part of their confrontation, the first part of their confrontation. Like I actually like the little force battle, and it was so cool to get to see Yoda suck, like basically just catch the lightning and make it disappear. Like it was like whoa, like that's so cool. I I just never thought that would happen. Like it was cool to see Obi Wan know he can use his lightsaber to deflect it, but for Yoda to just use his own hand, I was like, oh my god that Yoda's the man like that's awesome <laughs> yeah yeah it it is and the, that force duel really is you know pr- it probably is my favorite part of of the confrontation between Yoda and Dooku um but the the moment where uh they ignite their sabers that specific moment mm-hmm. uh is probably the high point of this entire duel and I will never forget um, seeing this movie in the theaters for the first time that opening weekend uh, that happened you know the, the choir starts to rise as Obi-Wan or as Yoda you know opens his cloak and extends his hand and the force pulls his lightsaber to his hand and he ignites the blade ready to face off against Dooku who has just done the most elegant saber salute ever um, 
and just the energy and the excitement in the room boiled over and people started cheering uh, in the audience uh, in the movie theater. And I will never forget that. <laughs> uh, yeah. And I'll, I'm just going to piggyback off that and say the same thing. Like people were losing their minds in theaters and, you know, I mean, I was right. I was caught up in that same energy. It was awesome. 100%. (laughs) You know, and, you know, 20 years later now, it's, it's, it's far from one of my favorite duels. Um, But that theater experience, again, it was just so unbelievable. You couldn't not love it, (laughs) you know? Um, Yeah. Absolutely epic. And, and it was great to just see Yoda. um, I mean, again, in the context of the story of just like, you know, we just saw Dooku dispatched the Chosen One and, you know, our venerable hero Jedi Knight Obi-Wan Kenobi like it was nothing. And then he just gets owned by Yoda. Which is great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it's, it's really fantastic. It's so great. Yeah. Um, you know, Jason, there's the one there's one shot that always just like throws me through a loop and I love it is when Padme comes running into the to the hangar after Dooku's left. And she runs right up to Anakin and just wraps her arms around him. Like I, it, at first I thought she actually kissed him on the cheek. She doesn't kiss him, but just the way she throws herself into him, like yeah, there's a huge red flag to Obi Wan too that it's probably being reciprocated by Padme. It's not just Anakin's infatuation anymore, right? But they also do it right in front of Yoda. <laughs> you know, it's like uh, it, it's like I don't know, like stealing lunch money from a kid in school right in front of the principal, right? <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> like wow you're, I, it's just going for it <laughs> you know it, it's been a, a hard day everyone's just sort of frazzled and on edge you know anakin's just lost an arm padme fell out of the ship you know they're both just a bit you know overwrought it, it's it's a, they'll make an exception here Right. So, <laughs> right. yeah, yeah, I love it. Logic though. anything away with that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, well, then we go back to Coruscant where we get to, you know, get the meetup between Dooku and Sidious. Um, another great piece of music with that choir hauntingly singing as these two meet up. Um, and it becomes clear in that moment. I mean, in the middle act of the movie, we hear Django tell tell Obi-Wan that he was recruited by a man named Tyrannus. This is the first time we hear Tyrannus addressed. He's d- addressed as Lord... Does he call him Darth Tyrannus? No, he calls him Lord Tyrannus. Yeah. Um, Lord Tyrannus, yeah. And so, and it, it, you know, this, this little moment, it's the only time we see Sidious in the whole movie, um, like mm-hmm. in the Sidious persona, and it's very clear who has engineered this war. But what struck me this time when I was watching is the fact that Dooku says, the force is with us, Master Sidious. That line to me just really struck me of like, wow, does does Dooku really think the force is on their side, right? And it just made me think of like the history of warfare, like whenever wars are waged in the names of religion, right? Which they often have been, right? Like God is on our side. Like it, it, this, this foolish idea that God is on anyone's side in war, you've already lost. <laughs> um, but just Dooku saying the force is with us. It just, it really struck me this time of like, wow, does he really think like that either they're potentially doing the will of the force or that like, yeah, the force is on their side. Like this is, this is their epic quest. I don't know. It just really struck me. 
Yeah, it is sort of um, this interesting notion, uh, you know, probably he's saying, you know, it, it, it's sort of his way of, of attributing their success here uh, to, you know, to fate or, or the force, you know, it, it is, it was meant to, to be, you know, our, our venture here is, has gone off without a hitch. It's in motion. It must be because the force is with us, you know? Um, and that, that is an interesting thing. I'm going to have to think about that, that line and that belief, but you know, Dooku, you know, Sidious probably doesn't think about things like this, but Dooku made the choice to to switch sides for a genuine reason. He truly believes what he's doing is the right thing mm-hmm. for the most part. Yeah. Um which which makes him a bit of a of a tragic figure in the end. Uh, uh but for the most part, he does believe that what he's doing is the right thing. So if he believes what he's doing is the right thing and it's going well, of course the force is with him. Um, you know, that would make sense to him. Um, I always thought the most interesting part about this scene is the fact that it was on Coruscant. Hmm. You know, that you get the two most evil, you know, engineers of this conflict on Coruscant in the shadows, you know, away, just away from the political district, you know, where the Senate and the Jedi temple are. Dooku has left an active war zone and flown directly to Coruscant and nobody figured it out. Hmm. You know, obviously that, you know, we know why, because he's got connections directly to the Chancellor. There's you know, all sorts of stuff that can happen there. But it is an interesting thing that Dooku can fly directly to Coruscant and nobody picks him up. Um, you know. But yeah, it's it's a very, very interesting thing. And then, of course, we cut to Obi-Wan, Yoda, and Mace trying to come to grips with what has just started. Yeah. And and Obi Wan, right? Can, kind of just thinking about just what just happened, and, and and kind of construing this as a victory, and and Mace kind of just nods along, like, yeah, you're right. Thank thank goodness for the clones because it wouldn't have been a victory otherwise. And Yoda's the one who immediately gives them the the grander vision of no 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 no, like this is this is tragic, like this is the reign of the dark side descending upon us. Like we're in trouble. Yeah. Yeah. The, in the moment it is a victory because they saved, you know, Jedi. They were able to, you know, uh, av- avoid a surprise attack on the Republic by the separatist armies. Um, you know, that was a victory in the very small sense, but the larger picture, uh, the, the tragedy is just beginning. And Yoda is the one with the, uh, experience and, you know, and, and knowledge and foresight to be able to, to recognize that so early. So, Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, the ep- we've talked about the epilogue of this movie uh, a lot <laughs> over the years. Yes. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I love that it's it's this juxtaposition of the marshalling of the clone trooper military, right, with the Imperial March in its, all of its glory. Clearly, John Williams, you know, indicating to us what this all means. This is the rise of the Empire. Um, and And then juxtaposing that with this beautiful moment of this wedding. Um, and I know we, we kind of actually talked about this not that long ago when we were talking about the music because we both talked about this particular track. Um, yep. And how really the answer to to this war, to this violence, is the love of Anakin and Padme. It's their offspring, Luke and Leia, that's going to fix everything that fell apart in this movie. Yeah. Uh, and just to, you know, reiterate, this is this is my favorite musical moment in the entire movie. Um, as we, we juxtapose these two scenes together, you know, with it's just spectacular. Um, both, you know, with the military aspect and then just the stunning beauty of this simple, quiet wedding, uh, where Anakin and Padme pledge themselves to each other, uh, with one priest, R2 and 3PO back in the lake country of Naboo. Um, and, and something for, for those of you, um, prequel lovers that is being picked up, uh, in the novel brotherhood is Padme working very hard to try and make sure Anakin doesn't feel uncomfortable with his new mechanical hand Mm -hmm. as she holds it there in the wedding. So, uh, it, it's mentioned repeatedly, and I'm only halfway through the book, that <laughs> when they are together, she she touches that hand, she holds that hand without any sort of reaction to like, oh, right, that's your metal one. Um, so uh, it's it's pretty great. So And it's a conscious decision on her part, and I, I love that they do have that in the wedding scene as she, you know, grabs both of his hands. Mm-hmm. Um there as they they kiss so yeah yeah and it's that's actually something really well done in brotherhood is also anakin learning to make sense of having a mechanical piece on his body which is pure foreshadowing to what it's going to become to be darth vader so yeah 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 it, no 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 more no more, <laughs> no more sneak yeah. peeks into brotherhood we we promise um <laughs> we're both enjoying the book so much you know Carl's already finished it I'll have it finished in a couple of days um we'll talk about that book on the show at some point in the next month or so uh don't you worry <laughs> uh, but it is very nicely tied into attack of the clones which is why we mentioned it a couple times here already yeah. so yeah, it's, um, it is the perfect sequel to this movie. It really is. It really is. And like I said, I've only, <laughs> I'm only halfway through, and I'm already loving it so much. Uh, yeah. So, but there we go, Carl. There's we attack finished attack. The, there's attack of the, the clones for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ah, uh, so good. Um. Yeah. So. My goodness, that that brings us, like I said, next week we are going to talk about nothing but prequel. Like, again, just staying in that prequel era, we're going to talk a little bit just about what we love about the prequels. Um, do a little, you know, I'm sure we'll touch a little bit on some of the things we're excited about that might get announced at Celebration. Um, 
but uh yeah like i said at the top of the show we'd love to get some of your in you know some of your thoughts on what it is about the prequels that you particularly love and you know uh, whether you like i said you want to send us like a quick one minute ish um voice voice message we'd be happy to play it um or just shoot us a quick email we'd be happy to read it um but yeah we'd, we'd love to hear your thoughts on what you love about the prequels absolutely and we'll uh we'll try and send out a reminder on social media uh for those of you who follow us there um in preparation for that as well um but we really would like to get your thoughts on why you love the prequels because as you can tell from our extensive coverage of attack of the clones 20th anniversary we love the prequels here at the wampus lair <laughs> so um just in case you couldn't tell uh, <laughs> but carl uh if people want to weigh in on any of our attack of the clones discussions uh or if they want to uh give us any other thoughts on why they love the prequels where can people get in contact with us well you can find us on twitter at wampus lair you can also follow us on instagram at the wampus lair you can always email us at wampuslayerpodcast at gmail.com. Excellent. Anything else uh, before we close down this episode? It has been a great month talking Attack of the Clones with you, my friend. It definitely has. It's been a great celebration of the 20th anniversary of my favorite prequel. So, uh, yes. And that will wrap up this episode. Thank you everyone so much for listening to this episode of the Wampus Lair Podcast. This has been episode number 468, Attack of the Clones, Act 3. For Carl, I'm Jason, and we'll see you next time here in the Wampus Lair. Wampus Lair.